Well, again, here we are. Morning, good afternoon, good evening. Wherever you find yourself in the world today, I greet you and I welcome you to Wow, What a Show. And you know, every week I, except last week, something happened, but I remember Psalm 19, which tells us that the heavens do declare the glory of God that the firmament shows forth his handiwork, that day unto day utter speech and night unto night shows knowledge. And you know, there's a mouthful in that. We give honor and glory to our God who is everlasting, loving, wonderful King of kings and Lord of lords. There is none other like him. We are so grateful to be known by him. The Bible tells us that he has called us by name. You know, he has given us a new name that also, ah, fresh it is here. Not only has he given us a new name in glory, but in the earth, he takes special care and attention to us. You know, we are his children and we are so thankful to be, I am his children. I have. I, I want to turn to a, another psalm just very quickly. It's Psalm 104, and um, I want you to to know that Psalm 19 is not the only place that uh, the the Lord Himself is declared to be Creator of all that is. Uh, Bless the Lord, O my soul, O Lord, my God. Thou art very great. Thou art clothed with honor and majesty, who covers thyself with light as with a garment, who stretched out the heavens like a curtain, who laid the beams of his chambers in the waters, who makes the clouds his chariot, who walks upon the wings of the wind. I tell you, let me tell you, the word is amazing. I could just go one more verse. Who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. That is God. And as your uh, father, he makes you something wonderful. Here it says flames a flaming fire. And we're going to get right into tonight because um, I thank God that uh, Anna Kane is here and she's going to share from a great work. Uh, wow, what a show was, well, it was born as not wow, what a show. This is the live outreach of Rehoboth Institute of the Arts. But the podcast from Rehoboth Institute of the Arts was born out of an idea, I do believe, placed in my heart by the Lord. Because formerly, we, I had been a part of a theater ministry. And it was very different if you think about theater. Our purpose and our mission was to take the gospel into a theatrical, a total theater um, framework and share it out to the world. And we had a, a really wonderful moment in time where we were doing that. So when we got, you know, a little older and marriage and all that stuff started to take over, we started to, um, you know, slow down. And this idea of letting artists speak was born in my heart. And so 
The podcast Rehoboth Institute of the Arts was born out of that desire to share from the heart of the artist. And like I said, you know, the Lord told me, or showed me rather, that um, not only are the artists those people that we think about in terms of, you know, the performing arts, etc., but artists are everywhere. Um, they're, they're craftsmen. They are, you know, heads of companies. They are ships. Uh, you know, they steer ships. <laughs> They're everywhere. And we are, are privileged that when we come to Christ, wherever we are, he is there to do something amazing. And so tonight we're going to kind of go back to that original idea of letting the artists speak out of their art, out of their art. Um, and allow the Lord to show that in so doing, he can be glorified and the artist is a witness. So with that, I am going to introduce my dear uh, uh, sister in Christ, my daughter in Christ, daughter in Christ, daughter of the blood, daughter in Christ, Anna, who is going to um, uh, present for us talk with us about that very thing. We're talking about lifestyle, uh, Christianity, living out day by day exactly who you are reborn to be in the kingdom of God. And in your rebirth, God now has access to everything that he has imparted to you so that you would bring glory and honor to his name. So I present now Miss Anna Kane, who is going to discuss a great work that she um, was a privilege to uh, produce as she studied uh, English literature. Hi there, Anna. Hello, Phyllis, and I'm glad to be here once again, because as usual, uh, getting in for me is a challenge. And mm. then all of a sudden, when I'm praying, here I, I, I enter into the <laughs> studio, so I'm glad to be here tonight. Very good, very good. I'm glad you're here, too. And I want to yes, welcome, uh, we have in the audience, Teeny is here. God bless. I love this child. Thank you so much. I had you on my mind, so I'm glad you're here, Miss Teeny. Okie dokie. With that, now I'm, I'm quiet. You go right ahead. <laughs> oh, Sharice is here. Oh, oh good evening, guys. How are you? Oh. All right. Well, it, 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 again, it's good to be here. And tonight is a special night. I will just uh, give a disclaimer at the beginning and say, as much as I loved working on this particular work that I'm going to introduce us to tonight. Um, you know, life has it so that if you don't sit down, you end up only having a few minutes here and a few minutes there to sort of outline your thoughts. But I'm really excited about beginning this uh, short series. And I love the title that you have here, Day by Day. And so for tonight, we've um, uh, added to the Day by Day cultivating character because this work was one that I studied at length and I used the work uh, after having studied it during my graduate studies. I uh, used the title cultivating cultivation of character in Jane Eyre, Charlotte Bronte's Jane Eyre. So I thought that was very fitting to talk about the day by day living of faith mm. in light of the way that I chose to also entitle 
uh, the work of Charlotte Bronte. Now, for those who may not be familiar with this particular artistic work, Charlotte Bronte was a novelist. And she is now revered as one of the canonized novelists uh, of British literature. And so during my time in graduate studies, we were introduced to all you know, types of uh, poets and authors of that, the, the 1800s in particular. And I just fell in love with this particular work. One, because as a Christian, it was one of the few works that would weave in themes that would reflect Christianity in some way. And as much as I loved other works, this one again resonated with me and it's a very long novel, I think a bit over 500 uh, pages, but it's a very endearing novel. And it's one that many uh, producers have produced in the movie theaters. I think the earliest uh, date of, that I have of a movie made about Jane Eyre, which by the way, Charlotte Bronte name this piece Jane Eyre it sounds like it's a fictional novel but it's actually partly autobiographical mm -hmm. people have really speculated over the life of the author because of what she chose to include in this uh, work and because of all that was written about Charlotte Bronte in addition to her author and you know, somewhat famous sisters and her one brother, uh, Anne Bronte, Bronte, and All righty, we're getting some uh, gaps in your, in your okay. delivery. Okay. okay. All right. <laughs> okay, they date okay. back to 1921. And uh, again, Charlotte Bronte actually died in the late 1800s. So to have a film made about you in early 1921 is probably a good thing. The next one I saw was uh, one in 1943. We've got 1997, 1996, 2011. And it, again, if you're not familiar with this particular work, perhaps you've heard her name, uh, perhaps you've heard her sister's name, Emily Bronte, Wuthering Heights actually was a movie that was really popular on television for many years. And sometimes they'll show it again. Uh, it might be helpful as we move into a couple, particularly when we get into the meat of the novel, uh, might be helpful to either read the novel this week or at least start it or go get you a good rendition, a good version of the movie. And one of my favorite ver versions, Phyllis, you chime in there. I know you mm -hmm. mentioned 1983 before, and I was trying to look that one up, but the last one that I used when I taught it uh, for high schoolers was the 1996 version. I think the casting was wonderful. Mm -hmm. I think the way that they depicted everybody and it was much you know, aligned with the way that you imagine these characters during that time period uh, when you're reading the novel. So the 1996 version of Jane Eyre, Bronte's Jane Eyre might be a good one. There's a 2011 version. And again, some of these versions will highlight what they want. Uh, the, the romance between the main character. And the gentleman I read it with very little background. Uh, other versions will do a, a wonderful job of highlighting Jane's growth, which is very 
important to understand if you're get to, going to have a full appreciation for the novel. Okay, so Anna. Just put that in at the beginning. Very good. I want to stop you because we are getting something yes. that we never got before. Uh, we have a you're cutting out several times, and so we're missing part of sentences, and we don't know what's causing that. But um, okay, the... let me ask you a question: mm -hmm. Is this nope worse, <laughs> worse? Did it appear that this might be better, the volume? No. Yeah, the vol. Okay. It is a volume. It Let me is try again. Actually, Does this seemed to be better. So what's the It's cutting in and out. Yes. 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 Okay. I don't know. I'm going to mute and hear. But let's pray before you continue. Okay. I want your introduction to really um, be heard. So would you like to pray or would I pray for us tonight? I'll pray. And mm -hmm. if you'd let me know if I'm still cutting in and out, mm -hmm. that would be helpful. Okay. We'll do. Lord, I thank you so much, God, that you are one that allows us to come together and actually pursue understanding and to grow closer to you, Lord Jesus, through these talks. I pray, Lord, that you would just arrest any barrier tonight, Lord Jesus, things that we have no control over. Lord, in the name of Jesus, we're asking for an open platform here, really to proclaim yes. your glory as we see it through the artistic expression of somebody who's gone before. Lord, we ask God that whatever is going on, would you please intervene and allow us to have this short amount of time to hear one another clearly? As we know, the communication is unfruitful if it is not understood. Amen. So I just pray, Lord Jesus, and I thank you for just your mercy tonight, which I need. I thank you that you order all things and that you equip us, Lord Jesus, to open our mouths. We move much, those of us who love you like Moses, not knowing exactly what to say, not even feeling very capable of articulating, God, your word. But you moved in him and you've moved in many and we're asking that you would move again tonight, Lord Jesus, and help us to have a successful run of this series hmm. and to keep the volume up, to keep the distractions and, you know, what, whatever does not happen now, Lord Jesus, show us what to do. And we'll trust that in the end, you'll be glorified in what you intended to be heard, what you allowed, what you were in favor of will be heard. We pray this in your precious name. Jesus. Amen. 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 So if you cannot hear me or if there are many interruptions, would you please let me know? And I will try one more time to adjust. Good. Hear you loud and clear now. Thank you. Okay. So tonight, again, we're going to introduce this text, but I thought that we wouldn't just introduce a novel as if we're joining in for a book club <laughs> i would like to first begin with um reading uh just a bit of what i have written and then i want to move over into looking at some of the themes that arise in this work 
And then I want us to take a look at some of the scripture that perhaps Bronte may have been familiar with. Uh, some of the scriptures that come to mind that align with the running themes and the characterization and some of the outcomes. And so we're, we're going to do that tonight because I really think it would be a lot more fun for everybody on this call to become a little bit more familiar with this novel, breeze through it, get yourself spark notes, look up some summary and <laughs> chapter summaries so that when we delve into it a bit more, you're more informed and uh, things resonate with you more. You will have more enjoyment, I believe, in talking about a novel that you're familiar with instead of one that you're not. So let's take a listen before we look at what the word says that I believe, uh, and we know that I believe, uh, and for what I, what I read, is that the word undergirded the efforts of the writer. And hence we have her semi-autobiographical work entitled Jane Eyre. Jane Eyre is a novel that not only tells the story of an ill-treated orphan who searches for and finds love and liberty, but it's a story that illustrates the process of personal and spiritual maturity in the life of the protagonist, Jane. The novel's characters and situations and the influence of Christian principles significantly contribute to the cultivation of Jane's character. These three elements, the author Charlotte Bronte, allow to work harmoniously in presenting the gradual influence of the three throughout Jane's journey. With little fanfare, and I really love that part, it's one of my favorite lines in my own work, with very little fanfare. Jane's transformations are propelled by moments of externally provoked dilemmas. And I want to repeat that because that's one important line for me. This was not a woman who was like any average woman. As a matter of fact, she was what they deemed at that time below average. She was not considered pretty. She was very poor, though eventually she finds out she inherits a great deal of wealth. She was rejected from the onset. She lost her parents. Um, she didn't have high prospects and she wasn't exactly coming into the world a gregarious, you know, highly confident individual. With little fanfare, basically living out of a corner, then in an orphanage, um, with her one opportunity becoming a governess, she's transformed. And I say that because Oftentimes when we think of transformation, uh, you know, we think of our own lives, but are we willing, and one of the themes, by the way, I believe is actually uh, learning contentment, contentment, are we willing to be transformed when there is hardly anything to identify us in the world, where we live in the earth, in our shells, maybe misunderstood, not seen, okay? But this is how the author presents this particular person and those transformations are propelled by what externally provoked dilemmas dilemma suffering another running theme these dilemmas demand that jan reveal her growth of character or reveal her lack thereof however the contemplative way in which jane develops inwardly illustrates the invisible process of character growth that works in every, every individual. And I'll tell you, that is one part of this work that I love the most. I've read several novels, 
But I love that I think Bronte's goal was to illustrate how invisible the process of character growth can happen. And that is probably a very difficult thing to do when you're trying to develop something that is not real, that you don't have years to um, write. This is, you know, 500 pages or so or more. You can only do so much there. You've got lots of characters to develop. You've got, you know, such, such a challenge. If you've ever tried to write, there is a bit of a challenge in keeping the attentions of the audience and allowing a process to happen. So that process of character growth, and it works in all of us. Bronte uses Jane's experiences to model this. The focus then becomes not just what Jane experiences, but how those encounters, how her encounters become those cultivating tools for development. It's the gradual, effectual nature of Jane's circumstances, the personalities that challenge her, and that relationship that she discovers with God that define who she is. I'll say that again. It's that gradual, effectual nature of Jane's circumstances. What circumstances do we find ourselves in? Well, I'll tell you today, I find myself in a couple of circumstances. The personalities that challenge her. Have you ever been challenged for the long haul or the short haul by the personalities around you? Is it just a challenge? You know, the relationship that we have with God a day by day by day. And guess what? He's not going to allow us to skip a day into the future or to turn around and go back. So Jane's suffering, and I will close in a moment, Jane's suffering by way of those circumstances and those personalities, like all romantic suffering, promises a certain consummation more attractive than the relief of suffering. And that's a quote. Like all the romance of suffering that we encounter, it promised a certain consummation that was more attractive than being relieved of her suffering. And the more you learn about what happens in this text, the more that line will become more understood. So then Jane experiences character movement. In her case, she matures and in direct response to what or who instigates her interior. She, as we know, has movement in response only to what instigates her interior or who. That's life right there. What instigates the interior? So I just begin with that to help us again, move into an experience with this particular artistic work. Again, while it may seem fiction and much of it is, lots of it is not. And the wonder about reading this work is to determine where the author drew the line, uh, what reflects who Bronte uh, is, was, and what does not, and how does she reconcile fiction with reality? Moving along to what I'd like to sort of highlight for our growth and to recognize that artists um, really do often undergird their expressions because of, you know, their, their, their perspective about the Lord, the perspective about God. And I will say that Charlotte Bronte and many during this particular era and era in time you know, those who were religious 
or religiously inclined <laughs> um, were affected by one uh, system of belief that perhaps we may not talk about much today, but we do when we talk about the historical Christian perspective, and that would be Calvinism. Um, it is said that she did repudiate, she rejected some of the Calvinistic tenets. One in particular would be the, uh, the notion of predestination. We know our Bible speaks about predestination. Um, if you look at it, as one put it, uh, what is willed to become of each man, what God wills to become of us, meaning he has willed it and we are, don't have our own autonomy in the sense that we cannot counter his will. But, you know, whether or not she rejected that particular tenet, and if you, it's a good idea in reading this work to sort of understand the author in the novel, it's not a bad idea to go back and discover what Calvinism is, those five tenets, the total depravity of man. She definitely illustrates that a bit here. Un unconditional election is one, limited atonement. Uh, she definitely highlights the irresistible grace of God and the perseverance of the saints. And so in this work, you know, who the author was is, is highly reflected in the themes that arise. And it is highly, highly illustrated, uh, excuse me, highly reflected in the themes and highly illustrated in the struggle of the main character. She also uses supporting characters to help illustrate these particular themes. And so again, this was a, and I, I even uh, remember reading much about, she really struggled in her own personal life with what we ought to really struggle with. And that is, you know, how do I stand before God? The difference is that some people under this umbrella may have somewhat of a doubt of their own security in Christ. So they struggle with faith and works, for instance. Um, but we, we don't have any definitive way of knowing what happened with Bronte in her final days, but we do have an appreciation for what was presented amongst many of the, the religious public in a way that we do not, I believe, experience it today. Maybe few do, but many of us being amongst evangelicals of this era don't have a lot of sympathy or understanding or empathy for those who struggled under that uh, religious sort of umbrella there of Calvinism. Um, so let's take a look at some scripture tonight. And if you have any thoughts or any questions that you would like answered about uh, anything that I say tonight, it'd be great to put a little blurb in the, in the box because again, we're gonna move right into the novel. And I encourage you one more time for the sake of being familiar and really getting an enjoyment out of the the, uh, the the sections that I'm going to highlight that come out of my own uh, studies, it would be great if you just had an understanding of the, the, the story as a whole. But let's look at some scripture that undergirds this particular work and why it's important to me. If we look at Bronte and her, if we, if we had to sort of bring out a scripture that sort of represented uh, Bronte and her sort of uh, embrace of religion, I've chosen Romans 14. And it says, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me 
and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us shall give account of himself to God. And that last part, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, but that last part that all of us will give account to God himself. Aside from the character Jane, that's a scripture that resonates uh, with my understanding of the writer. And so what say that a writer, let's say you, let's say that's something that you struggle with. Let's say that's, that's a part of the scripture that you hold to. Let's say that's very effective. That gets your attention, giving account of himself to God. It's a very fearful verse, in my opinion. When I really think, and I've thought about lately standing before God, lots of times, yes, we think heaven's a wonderful place filled with glory and grace. I want to see my Savior's face. Heaven is a wonderful place. But then I say, standing before God is too much for me. It, you know, I, I, no matter how much I study Revelation, <laughs> I still say at the end of the day, standing before him is too much for me. And if he surprises me, then I won't be ashamed. But I have this funny feeling that, I don't know, somewhere, a second, a glimpse that would put me down that I don't think the body could do anything but lie low before him. I don't think I'd be capable standing up to receive and to see the face of God. And so when I think about this author and even the struggles that she had, those that are speculated upon and those that were factual struggles, I think of this scripture, we will give an account of himself to God and whatever she struggled with, perhaps rejecting God's will for you as something that's inescapable Lots of people struggle with predestination because they wonder then where is the will of man? How does he then will for us and then let us live freely in the earth? Where is the reconciliation between his will and my will? And that he wouldn't damn a person because that's where we're going. If God is the one in control, then why won't everyone go to heaven? Why are there people going to hell? Where do I stand? So we think about, again, a text that's being informed by a mind of an author who recognizes that she will give an account. And for her, it's a struggle. For many of us in many church centers, it's a praise and a jump high, high five. It's a all everything smile. But you know, you keep reading, and the more you see yourself, the more you too will be sobered by the fact that you will stand before a holy God. Some running themes, and we'll go to a few more scriptures. Uh, finding contentment, and I say this because we've got a few sections. We're going to break this book down. We've got the early stages of her life. We've got this Jane as she's growing, and all my chapters have been named. They're typically uh, they're named because of where she was geographically in the book, and the book itself is divided up that way. But finding contentment, not being content. She found it. She was forced to. <laughs> so I love that finding contentment in all of her geographical locations and all of her situations. Enduring rejection. Big running theme. Obvious theme. Okay, right from the onset. But enduring rejection. 
So if you're looking for a good work, Laura, if you're, if you're going through any of these things and you sort of want something to, to sort of pacify you in it, read Jane Eyre. Uh, understanding, another running theme. Friendship, another running theme. Faith, obviously, and willing submission. And I don't say submission in the sense that it would have been expected in the 1800s, but a willingness towards submission. Um, even in a lack of understanding, there was still a, a willingness of submission. Uh, let's look at some scripture that may be reflective of Jane Eyre. One is Colossians 3. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, and long-suffering. And kindness, humility, meekness, and long-suffering. Those are traits that Jane was forced to contend with uh, as she matured. Uh, then Jane has some supporting characters. We love them. One we're going to highlight, ex uh, not extensively, but we're going to give her a, a great deal of weight, was a great influence in Jane's early life in the orphanage. Her name was Helen Burns. She, some people call Helen Burns uh, the embodiment of martyrdom. They sort of interpret her character uh, a little harshly, I believe. I believe Helen was resolved to her, her fate, if I may use that word <laughs> loosely. She was resolved to the situation in which she found herself. And I, 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 she had a sickness and an illness. And I do believe that what Bronte is trying to show us is what do you do when you understand your position in life and that's it, that's your lot. How do you respond? Well, this young girl responds in a way that I see is reflective in Philippians 3. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. And I'll tell you, when I read about her, and I, I, I'm not always sentimental, but every time I think of little Helen, I could just break down. I go, Lord Jesus, what a good scripture here. She counted forced or willingly all things lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. And this was a significant, uh, very important influence on Jane. She suffered the loss of all things. She counted it rubbish, had a song in her heart that she would gain Christ. It's a beautiful, a beautiful, beautiful part of this work. Jane increases in understanding as first Corinthians would guide us to do. Now, therefore, uh, it is already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? The Bible asks this question, and this is one of the really a turning point in the story. I don't want to give it all away, but this has to do with the response that she has to an aunt, uh, a very cruel, unloving aunt. And Jane learns a very important lesson. As a matter of fact, I'm not going to give it away. I was. There's a line there. There are a few lines there. There's a, she has a, a basically a response about a couple of paragraphs of response to her opportunity to rise up and what does Jane learn after taking advantage of that opportunity what she learns is is priceless for any of us it's a very hard thing but it's priceless and I feel like it's reflect this is a scripture 
that, that reflects that moment in time before she moves out of that home and into another. Why do you not accept, I ask us all, the wrong? Why do you not rather let yourself be cheated? It'd be a good job, to, good thing to go back and read 1 Corinthians 6. Now, quickly, let's go through before we just have a little bit more discussion. And Phyllis, I would love to invite you on in with some discussion. And we'll highlight a few things that maybe we want to be sure we address as we look at the varying uh, chapters and the experiences and try to actually bring something out of this novel that we can hold on to. I have one thing. It's probably even a sensitive issue, but I tell you, I'm going to share it with you for the glory of God. But let's take a look a little bit more. Jane and another main character who happens to be one of my favorite characters. But I tell you, if you go back and read any commentary, any research on this particular character, people size him up as the enemy. And maybe in some ways, uh, he could have been used by the enemy to, to, to manipulate Jane. He's one of, he's like, he might be my most favorite character. His name was Sinjin. First uh, Peter says, if you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of glory and God rest upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief or evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet, if anyone, and here's the part of the scripture, <laughs> I wrote it all down. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. Now, I've got other scriptures we'll highlight later. But this one, uh, I'm honing it, zoning in on the let him not be ashamed, let him glorify God in this matter if you suffer as a Christian. There's a, there's a, 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 a dynamic that happens between Jane and Sinjin, who happens to be her cousin. Um, and, you know, this, there, there are two dynamics. And the beginning is as if he is basically being too hard on her. In the end, and he's going to make a request of her. This is going to be a very hard request. But I'm just thinking about Jane and her suffering when she did no wrong um, and glory, trying to figure out how to glorify God in that situation. Another scripture would be James. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. And James is telling us, well, show me your faith without your works. And I will show you my faith by my works. You believe there is one God, you do well, that demons also believe. But do you want to know, O oh foolish man, that faith without works is dead? And this is something I think Jane had to contend with during the moments that she spent with Sinjin. She had to sort of contend with what is faith? Where does that fit in my willingness to do? Now, a lot of it has to do with whether or not it was God's will for her to do what she was being asked of, but I also uh, interpret that as an opportunity for, for Bronte to show us that the willingness to do and to express and to show um, and not just have faith inwardly, but have it outwardly is something that we all, you know, uh, will, should contend with. We should have a great deal of thought about that. And one more. Um, faith and willingness to suffer and serve. I beseech you, therefore, Romans 12 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is a reasonable service. 
And this is exemplary of who Jane becomes. She is willing, uh, like Helen, to be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God as a reasonable service. And one last scripture for the night, Matthew 16, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him what deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Again, this is an example. Uh, illustrated and one of the many circumstances in which Jane finds herself in. So I'm not going to uh, actually use any scripture tonight to highlight anything about Jane and the premier character, Rochester, the man who falls in love with her. <laughs> and, and for, you know, if, if it were not for Rochester being in this, this, this novel, I'm not sure she ever would have gotten any a movie, you know, out of it. But it's a beautiful love story. The way they develop uh, in their conversations it is a wonderful thing. But I wanted to start this time uh, with the fact that we're going to explore this novel in light of the word of God. Um, we're going to explore what I believe Bronte was trying to express to the reading public through who she was, and we're going to also undergird that with some scripture. I will go back and share my uh, closing comments and some analysis of the work, but I really would, again, encourage all of us on the call to, to take the next seven days, and again, you uh, with technology, you can probably find yourself a very good, again, the 1996 version of Jane Eyre, Charlotte Bronte's Jane Eyre, or another version will at least give you an overview of what the book is about, or you can take your time to read the book or pull out some chapter summaries so that what I'm sharing with you will make better sense and you'll have more enjoyment out of the conversation. So again, tonight was just an introduction and two, and I love what you said, Phyllis, speaking out of the art. And this is exactly what Charlotte Bronte has done. She spoke out of this particular work. It's not her only work, but it is her most popular work. And it's her most um, interesting work, in my opinion. And again, it still is beloved and taught, believe it or not, today. My son's reading it. My older daughter reads it to him. <laughs> and I was surprised by that. So again, Phyllis, would you like to chime in on some of the um, highlights? And let's talk about where we're headed next week. Oh, yes. Oh, such a great introduction. And thank you so much for doing what I did not do, and that is uh, coordinating the themes with this particular series as we go forth. And for every scripture that you have highlighted in giving us the uh, main points, the main themes of this novel. When I uh, started tonight, uh, um, I'm going to mute you, Anna. Um, when yes, I started... Yes. Yes, okay. I wanted to um, just give me one second there. Okay, you did it yourself then. Okay. I wanted to quote a scripture. Uh, when I think of Jane Eyre, I think of a woman who 
by her particular life provoked others to be aware of the 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 uh, growth in in her life. Right, she was an influence on this very uh, person, this man who fell in love with her, and so that is in our current day to be, I think, lifted out and really talked about with young people because the trend of the day is to not remain faithful in your faith, but rather to follow the world's way. And this novel really puts right into perspective that though we suffer momentarily, those sufferings from the Psalm, uh, uh, I think it's 16, though weeping endures for a night, joy comes in the morning. And so the scripture that, that I started with is uh, five uh, Galatians 5 and verse 26. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. That's 25. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another envying one another. It's, it's amazing. Like uh, the, the preface of the book really gives you insight into Jane uh, Bronte's personality just in, in her, she doesn't even write a, uh, she didn't write rather a, a word, a foreword in her first novel. She only put it in the second. And, and she says that Oh my goodness, I can't even quote it. We have to read that, Anna, because it is so important. I want also to remind the um, group, all of us here, that we were going to begin tonight reading uh, James Baldwin, A Fire Next Time. Um, but isn't it just like the Lord to put you on a right course? I, I do believe that to go through this novel first will help us better uh, discuss what uh, Baldwin went through, uh, having suffered as you know an African uh, in this in this place where we have been so rejected. So I'm I'm really glad that we started this way. And mm -hmm. may I add, Phyllis, to that? That I I thought about that, and I say also Baldwin struggles. Some of them mm -hmm. differed from Jane. So just seeing the different influences on how we handle our struggle. Yes. would be good. So sort of positioning those next to one another is a good Yeah. I, and I believe it was a little bit autobiographical also when you mm -hmm. go back and read a bit about who he was. So that that is good. Yes. It well, oh, definitely. The Fire Next Time is really all about his sufferings, his early struggles, and then the solutions that he came to, which were not what we would have wanted him to come to. But um, it's good to look at it. It's good to assess it and to discuss what could have been uh, to help him along because his struggles never kind of ended. 
Um, so Sharice writes, it's incredible how you were able to connect the scripture with the theme and storyline of the book. Your ability to relate the two has inspired me to pick up the book and read it for myself. That is wonderful. And when I read uh, Anna's thesis, I, I kind of read it to help, you know, as a second pair of eyes on it, right? I was also and I, I knew Jane Eyre from my own youth. You know, I read the book years and years ago. It's the kind of book that you really will read. You will not put the book down. You know, I guess it, it was for me. And then I saw all the movies and usually a book to a movie can disappoint you. But I must tell you all, the book won't disappoint you, nor will the movie. Uh, at least I, I, the 1996 version, I probably did see it. Um, there's a, the gentleman who plays uh, the male character there. I really like that man. But to, for me, the 1983 version is, it seems to be a little bit more extensive in its coverage. But I, you know, I don't know. This is Anna's great work and it's not mine. So she would know better than I. If you can find the version that uh, was, that came out in 1996, 97, I guess, um, then by all means watch that. But watch any one of them. One of them is very brief and, and I kind of am disappointed in that a little bit, but the story is Me still- too. Don't, don't don't watch the brief one. Right. Yeah. Don't, don't watch the ones that are too short because nine times out of 10, they left 50% of the book out. So. Yes. Yes. And as it is, they have to leave some of the book out because to make the whole book, uh, you know, into the, it, that's a difficult transition from book to film. I mean, it's all about uh, length and uh, detail. Right. But anyway, Anna, I love, I love the uh, points that you have highlighted for us and the themes that you've given us. It makes us, me, and I've, I tell you, I've watched this film so many times. I can't even tell you how many times. If I'm looking for something to watch on TV, there are just a couple, and I can't find it. There are a couple of things that I will watch and watch and watch and watch again. And Jane Eyre is one of them. Um, so you will not be disappointed. And it is a quick way for you to catch up to the story as we delve deeper in it with Anna, or as Anna takes us through, uh, very definitely through this. I love also the fact that you uh, mentioned she was born in the era when Calvinism had just really kind of grasped uh, the hearts and minds of the uh, the religious community there. She was born, of course, in England. And her response to that, and I got to say, too, that in my uh, dealing, you know, in, I, I'm a radio listener and I used to listen to a, a Steve Brown from Florida. Uh, I loved listening to Steve, but he was definitely a Calvinist. And there are some things that are too, uh, to, they're, they're interpreted in a very, very um, rigid and specific 
light. And one of them is predestination. Uh, so that's something that we really could talk about even more. And Pastor Thomas is on the line. So, uh, you know, your insight would definitely, I hope you'll come with us. Pastor Thomas and I are going to do the fire next time. And I might also invite a few other people to that panel when we actually begin to talk about uh, the ultimate reason for reading the fire next time. But as as a pastor on the line, uh, my pastor cannot come because he's in Bible study at this hour. But I would love to get the input and insight of other pastors uh, dealing with the the subject matter of of uh, predestination for sure. And that was a problem for Jane, you know. Um, and our circumstances sometimes dictate uh, how we accept others. When I say a problem for Jane, she definitely was not in agreement with them, I, I think, right? Uh, catch me if I'm wrong. Uh, she did not Bronte, agree with it. it yeah. was, she, mm -hmm. she basically struggled. And that's one reason I like to study her, because there's so much ambiguity, mm -hmm. things we don't know. But the things that we do know lend themselves to a struggle. So, yeah, I would mm -hmm. be careful with my words, not knowing the woman, <laughs> whether yeah. it may be problematic for her, mm -hmm. as opposed to she didn't outright reject uh, you know, God's place in her life because of it. But the struggle is real, <laughs> as yes. we say now. Um, so, yeah. And therein we find the great mercy of God. I think we, we yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I don't think we can really appreciate that. What you said, I'm glad you reiterated that, that coming out of particular eras, just like now with certain things that are, you know, folks are pretty hypersensitive about or just sensitive about, mm -hmm. it's because of the, the time in which you find yourself and the dynamics mm -hmm. here. And so we have to be careful to remember that people were placed in the, the world, you know, during their, their particular time frames, and that's what happens. You, mm -hmm. you struggle or you accept or you come to solutions, resolutions, uh, conclusions or not. And so I appreciate mm -hmm. that about studying her life. And I I used to, well, I was even thinking the just the, in the last few days about the time in which you are born, those, the, the, the way of the world at that time. And so you, I wonder anyway, what, what may God place me in this time period? What do I contribute to, to the um, work of the kingdom with regards to the timing of my birth? And um, I think a lot about it. And so I could talk about that at a later time, but I am wondering or kind of coming to the, the conclusion that he uses those people that he places in a particular time period for a number of reasons. But one could be that they lend a an insight out of their a particular um, gifts that he's given them or their way that he, he causes us to process information so that their insights are considered with regards to whatever the over, overarching um, uh, philosophies or trends or whatever are. And definitely it seems that Jane and her family were rather distant. They kind of stood alone 
I, I read this. I'm and just really, really, because it's not yes. all that current. Yeah, but they were not people who were like in the mainstream of society, no. so to speak. Right. And therefore no. that she she wrote such a compelling novel uh, and that it just kind of pushed them right up into um, a, a public awareness. You know what I mean? They, they became people amongst these other people <laughs> from which they stood, they were noticed. And uh, so their particular thoughts then were heard and they had to be considered. So I'm I'm kind of thinking that that had a lot to do with um, Bronte, the Brontes writing and being born in a period when Calvinism was, uh, you know, was born and on the rise. I don't I think it was kind of born in the in the 18th century there um, or not early 19th century. Right. And I I will say, speaking of uh, being born in a particular time, Jane Eyre was considered a bit risque. Let Mm -hmm. me just say that Mm -hmm. off the bat. So when you go into it, oh, it's so sweet. You know, in our end, look at the time period in which we we find ourselves. But this was not a book that was well received in the beginning. Not at all. Mm -hmm. Lots of scrutiny, some rejection, some embrace immediately. Uh, The societal norms were challenged with just the little bit of liberalism she has in the text. Like, Mm -hmm, and we wouldn't mm -hmm. even consider it liberal at all. So keep that in mind too. That's a real thing. And the publishing of this novel uh, highlighted that. It was not well received off the bat. There was a lot of rejection, but there was a lot of embrace. I think the public was turning, you know, that the queen was on the rise in her last part of her reign and lots of things were changing. So she came in on the turn of a century and mm-hmm. lots of, you know, things happen when you're in that predicament. Mm-hmm. Think about it too. Um, martyrdom, uh, she was pretty close to it. I mean, you know, not, well, you, being in Europe, you, you are probably a lot more aware of martyrdom and uh, m- much more so than we are not being in Europe because uh, that's where yes. Christianity spread and that's where people were beheaded, burned at the stake, died just to have the Bible. And I think Wycliffe, who is one of the uh, definitely, you know, uh, fought and, and suffered that we could have uh, the Bible, right? And so that it had to be close to her knowing even if you read the preface of her book, you'll know that she knew the Bible inside. I mean, Jane Eyre knew the Bible. She had read God's word. She calls characters that I'll bet half of us have not even heard of unless you have read and remembered. Because some of these guys are kind of obscure, even on the pages. And I have read it several times. I was so taken aback when I when I read through it. And that's, I think, in general, the English, the Irish, probably um, even the Germans are very familiar. If you listen to British uh, or watch British television, as I do, a lot of references, a lot of quotes from the Bible in general 
conversation, sometimes to uh, compare what is going on around them. They quote the Bible. It's amazing. And we don't hear a lot of that in uh, American TV. I don't anyway. Um, so these are people who are where she is amongst those who um, were read. I think Jane's father was a minister also, right? Is that true? Am I remembering that correctly? Yes, clergyman for a while. As a matter yeah. of fact, they lived out in the country because of his, the position that he took for a, a while. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he had taught taught them the word really good. They knew they knew the Bible, and uh, they were also living, I think, in in situations. Anna, I'm, I don't want to take over because it's not that current in in my head. But just to give the the listeners, you know, a um, a, a setting. And um, to let them know, she didn't write in in um, non, like you said, she was rejected. So she stood out anyway. She did it anyway. And that really does go along with the series and the thought and the focus right now. And that's living as a Christian day by day, embracing your faith walking with Christ, doing what he says to do, and not having to be accepted as you do it, but doing it anyway and taking the ridicule. In her preface, you'll know that there were, there were some who had come out against her. So, okay, that's, um, that's about it. That's about it. Yeah, she, she started, uh, her pseudonym, by the way, was Cura Bell. Mm -hmm. So she didn't publish under her name, again, just setting her back in a particular period where the woman author mm -hmm. was not, uh, you know, widely published. Right. Uh, although her sister's work did get published right off the bat. Um, mm -hmm. So nonetheless, uh, I'm glad that we've had this introduction. To Me too. Tonight, and um, I am looking forward to hopefully uh, outlining the work in such a way that it will be very helpful to us. Uh, again, a little bit beyond the club experience, just for mm -hmm. the sake of talking about it and mm -hmm. going through it, that's fun. But how can we use this? This book has challenged me in a number of ways. And I was thinking earlier today, Lord Jesus, in some ways, have I not again lived up to some of the characteristics that I deemed you know, very effective in my own thinking back when I was doing my graduate studies. So I'm praying that all of us will use this. Let God use anything he will as a tool to cultivating Amen. character in, in ourselves. And the more I get older, the more I realize, yes, I still come to you, Lord Jesus, afresh. Amen. I come afresh and I, I need you to show me in this season of my life what do I do? Where do I go? Where, how do I stand? Right. Because I can appreciate the struggle that a woman like this might have in light of who have you willed me to be? Yes. And am I, am I falling in line with that? You know, because it's an awesome thing to stand before God. Yes, it, it's a beautiful thing, but it's a humbling thing, whether you want it to be or not, it's going to be. And oh. so I just praise God for this. And I would pray quickly mm -hmm. um, before you close just yes. the scripture, Lord Jesus, we will give an account. And I say that to myself this evening, 
because I want to do well, but Romans, Paul has told us the thing that I want to do, I do not. And the thing that I do not, you know, I, I do, or that I do that I don't want to do. It's, it's a, it, and I'm not quoting it well, Lord Jesus, but I, we, we contradict ourselves sometimes in our thinking or in our motivations. And sure, they're wonderful, good days. Thank you for them. Yes. But in the day that you err, that is the day that sort of shines forth. The Bible says, be ye holy for I'm holy, not holy one day or five days. Your objective is for us to follow you daily. And so I humble myself, Lord God, and I ask that again, you would make this a tool with which you will come in and refresh us and purify us. And I ask for your mercy tonight not necessarily because anybody has to do anything you know that is deemed some horrible act or something but just because the more of your light we see the more of my darkness i see and i thank you lord jesus for your grace and your beautiful love and your necessary mercy in the name of jesus amen amen Amen. oh good 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 I just thank you so much for taking time out to come and do what we're doing here. And to all of you, you know, nobody gets paid for, <laughs> except by the glory of God. The benefit comes as we share and as we give, um, because the Lord gives back to us out of exactly what we are sharing, which is why I solicit your words as well. Be very at ease and comfortable to say whatever you want to say while we are here. And by the grace of God, we will, if we disagree, do it lovingly. And if we agree, we will then say amen. Hallelujah. God, again, has set before us a very wonderful table. You know, he does not, um, he does not haphazardly prepare the meal. He does that with intention. And the, the nourishment is intentional. So I thank him that you have joined us and that you also are nourished and that you're taking of the delectables that are on this table that he has prepared and you will apply them in your life. And guess what? It's very personal. You don't ever have to tell us that you did it. But if you did, think of all the people who could benefit because this message is going to go up to the um, the main page for Rehoboth Institute of the Arts and you never know who might click on one of these episodes and their lives be transformed. Father, that's what we ask you to do with everything that we do and say here. Thank you, Anna Kane. May the Lord our God bless and keep you and recompense you according as you have given out. What a beautiful introduction. And may you also, every one of you, receive from the bounty of God, not to be compared to anything else that anyone could give or provide for you. 
I thank you and we bless him, our Father, for being so kind, so attentive, so present in the name of Jesus Christ. Please join us again next Wednesday, 8 o'clock. God bless. Have a really good rest of your day. <laughs>